Welcome to the Fallon Forum, and uh, here we are, folks, in the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, Des Moines, Iowa, bringing you the independent voices and civil dialogue you long to hear because, you know, you can't find those on some of those commercial stations uh, yet. Anyway, I'm Ed Fallon. I'm your host, uh, and uh, Charles Goldman's with me today. How's it going, Ed? Now, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website. Or if you run a small business or a nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-paid basis. Contact DavidJakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. Hey, also thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music. You can experience a traditional Irish Session somewhere in the Des Moines Metro every Tuesday. All right, so hey, Charles Goldman is with me today. Hey, Charles, how are you? Pretty good, Ed. Weathering the heat? Uh, not too bad. I mean, the weather's been actually pretty good, I would say, so far this year. Yeah, well... It is a bit warm for June, but hey, we can uh, talk more about that sometime. Um, well, I know you're going to blame it on climate change, so. No, I, I, I'm going to blame it on sunspots and cow flatulence. That's that's my go-to these days. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I get I get these emails from this guy who still insists that it is all a hoax, all made up, all cyclical, and you know, I, I don't know how anybody can even credibly offer those arguments anymore. When you, you know, even Exxon knew back in the '70s that climate change was being caused by its own products. So, hey. Well, if if you go look at the you know history of the Earth, all three you know billion years of it, or five thousand, five thousand eight hundred, or five thousand eight hundred, if if you're going to the uh, publicly supported religious schools, um, <laughs> then you know there have been there have been periods of of, of great extreme change. Some of which can be attributable to some of the things that have been proffered. You know, um, the Earth wobbles on its axis. There, the magnetic field does change. There are things that can be, you can attribute this volcanism. Or, or, you know, for instance, uh, that may have occurred around the time of the meteor strike that knocked off the dinosaurs. You know, so there are some of those factors. But the truth was, coming into the industrial era, this was one of, if not the most temperate, yeah, yeah. temperate times, ever. On planet Earth, and we would probably be in a and cooling have, time right now. We'd be in a cool period if it wasn't correct. for human. And we uh, have we we have accelerated in the space of a you know basically 150 plus years, uh, in the opposite direction that geologically you know we were going. Yeah, us. And um, so that's that's the danger. And yeah. yeah, you can come up with all these other things, but basically, sure, you put enough carbon dioxide in the air, it's going to warm up. Yeah. Yeah, it's just shocking to me that some people just can't get that. Um, I think they know. get it. It's just that they don't. They, I think there's two camps. There's one camp that doesn't want to give up their prerogatives and the money to be made off of fossil fuels and and keeping the you know the consumerism at the level we do. Um, you know, and there's another group that just believes that technology will fix it. Some technology, yeah. or the aliens will return and help us. Well, you know, with all those alien vessels being impounded by the U.S. government, uh, and one of them might be a Tesla, actually. I suspect that Elon Musk is actually an alien. It could be the one that's coming yeah. back. Didn't they Didn't yeah. they shoot a Tesla into space with one of the Was there a monkey things? driving it? No, no. They had, like, you know, one of the crash test dummies in it. Oh, even better than a monkey. <laughs> okay. Hey, so, uh, well, besides this uh, conversation here about the, the quote, weather, mm-hmm. uh, we're, uh, we're going to be talking later about uh, the... Oh, the, uh, the, the U.S.'s potential slide into autocracy. We're also going to look at the historic ruling here in Iowa, the abortion ruling issued by the Iowa Supreme Court last week. And uh, later in the program, Kathy Burns will join us. Uh, we're going to be talking about lab meat and a new study suggesting that the, the environmental benefits, allegedly, uh, that uh, come from lab-raised lab meat might not all be as rosy as they, are, they were indicated. What about the lab Twinkie? The lab Twinkie. The, twi- the lab Twinkie is the, whether it's a lab Twinkie or an organic Twinkie, Twinkie, or a homemade Twinkie. It's all, all bad. It's all bad. No, none of those are good. That's right. Yeah, 
Yeah, if you get it from a Twinkie tree, even it's directly off the vine, you know, mm -hmm. a Twinkie plant. Those are always also, also bad. Hey, so um, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, Juneteenth, big day here. We're, mm -hmm. we're actually taping this program on Juneteenth, um, and uh, it's exciting for me to see how far we've come. And my own involvement goes back about 27 years, Charles. Oh yeah, I know that. This was yeah. yeah you yeah, so uh, yeah, I am. Um, uh, I had a constituent, Gary Lawson, who um had been trying to organize Juneteenth events. He had, he had been organizing Juneteenth events for a couple, three years. And he thought, wouldn't it be nice to have some state involvement? And uh, he came to me, and I said, well, yeah, we'll look into it. So this is 1996. I'd been a lawmaker for three years at that point. Uh, and, uh, you know, there were some who were like, oh, come on. This is just a, you know, they, they, were, they were kind of dismissive. Of it. Oh, sure, we're against slavery, but we don't need to do that. But... Um, I drafted a resolution and got the, the one black member of the Iowa legislature, Tom Baker. He agreed mm. to sign on to it. Didn't want to be the lead sponsor, but he was happy to sign on to it. And then I got uh, two Republicans to sign on to it, the majority leader, which was a coup, right. and Betty Grumberg from Des Moines. Uh, so, you know, with, with uh, some bipartisan support and, um, and uh, again, a, a, quote, big name within the House, the majority leader, we were able to get it passed in the House and then in the Senate. And uh, yeah, it was good. And uh, you know, from there, it just it, it kind of just kept rolling forward. And now it's a, now it's a holiday, so it's kind mm -hmm. of exciting to me to see that what Gary started in about 1990, and we first legislated in 1996, um, really has taken off. So yeah, there was there were a fair number of things that were going on actually starting the previous weekend, not this one. Yeah, um, they had a, a a day out at Living History Farms in which they brought in some people to talk about you know the history of. Some of the black communities, like I guess there was a mining town that one time, Buxton. Buxton, sure. right? Buxton, that, just yeah, southeast came, of Des Moines, right? That yeah. came and went. Well, and it was and, a very racially integrated town. Right, right. People got along, black and white. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so they were going to talk about that, and also, you know, some of the involvement, I guess, with Underground Railroad and you know, getting the slaves out, runaway slaves out from Missouri. There was an Underground Railroad station right here in West Des Moines. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, Jordan yeah. House. Yeah. Oh, you learned so much from me, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we so should be proud of that. I mean, that's something. Proud you, know, you learned from me. Well, proud, proud. <laughs> you know that. Yes. That at a time when you know whites yeah, sure. in America, I wouldn't say their views of race was sophisticated, but they had a sense of of injustice that was being visited on, yeah. on others. There was a case know. back in the 1800s where a a, a freed slave from Missouri. Came to Iowa. They so someone in Missouri. I can't remember who was the state or the owner, or the the quote owners of the slave wanted him back. And Iowa said, "No, mm -hmm. he's here now. He's free." So yeah, we've we've had we've had some cutting edge stuff. It's, it's a, kind of remarkable how uh, backward Iowa has turned in the last few years. But hopefully, this is a <laughs> passing uh, passing trend. We'll, and we'll talk about that later in the show. Sure. Let's switch to national stuff first. Um, you brought to my attention. See, I learned from you too, Charles, right? Well, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. <laughs> you brought to my attention a, uh, a, a story in the New York Times, uh, the Trump fun factor. Yeah, and, and the, reason, the reason I, it, it was just a short sort of notebook piece. Um, I remember seeing Trump in 2015, Probably. must have been 15, yeah. and he was outside Urbandale High School. Um, oh, yeah. I remember, you, I remember you going to that. Right. And I remember coming back and telling you that I thought he was running a Saturday Night Live routine, which was a, a satire of the camp, of a campaign. And to some degree, it's really never changed all along. And that there's an element of the population that is so disenchanted with any government mm -hmm. that they don't care if he would bring it down. They just think he's fun. You know, and that he he's energetic, depending you know on which day you see him, and and um, well, morose perhaps when he contemplates a long prison term. Yeah, exactly, and and that they they kind of view him like Berlusconi almost, you know, who just died, the Italian mm, right. uh, you know leader for many many for a couple decades, I guess. The Italian billionaire, right? Also, right, also you know a celebrity, right. and that. This is part of his appeal, and and when when you watch when I watched the um, CNN town hall, which ultimately cost, I guess, was it Chris Myers was the uh, CNN head lost his job over it. Uh, I can't remember who lost their job. It was well, yeah. I, I think his name was Myers. I can't remember. Maybe that wasn't his first name, but he he lost his job a couple of weeks later, and you know, and it wasn't. He even sacrificed one of their up and coming journalists 
just so Trump could basically have an hour of his usual routine, his comedy routine, because it wasn't serious. I mean, it's the same thing. But over people and think over it's serious. Again. His base, thirty percent of the country thinks it's very serious. But there's people who follow him around like like it's the dead. I mean, they follow him from to hear him say the same thing well, the British over have, and over. The British have royalty. We have Trump. Right. No, but I think that's the danger here, which is that, to some degree, people. It's kind of like what happened during Watergate. You know, the Watergate hearings. People were calling. You know, and at that time, the Watergate hearings were going on. And it wasn't like you had the option of not televising them, right? Like there wasn't a Fox News at the time that would pretend it wasn't going on. Right. And um, so people, and it replaced the soaps in the afternoon, the yeah. soap operas. Yeah. And so people started watching them and they kind of got you know, intrigued by it. But they were writing into the network saying, we'd like to see more of this person. I mean, they thought it was kind of like a reality show. Right. You know, and I think that in a bizarre way, one of the dangers of Trump is that some of this is just that it's the reality show thing, you know, mm -hmm. and he's just playing that because he's not saying anything substantive. He just repeats the same thing over and over, you know, and, it, and a lot of it isn't even accurate. Well, most of it isn't accurate and most of it is reprehensible. I mean, like I was, I was watching the other day and I knew he would do this. So his his aide, who supposedly helped him with these documents, well, what's the, what's the surprise? He's going to throw him under the bus now, <laughs> right? Oh, I didn't have anything to do with putting these documents in. I just had, you know, Nick or whatever his name is. Yeah, I just had him pack the boxes, and I think I figured he's in the Navy. He knows what a top secret document looks like. <laughs> hey. That's how I ended up with these boxes. And that's how, that's <laughs> you know? how Jose had ended up in trouble. And it is. It yeah. is almost like a common yeah. routine because it's just ludicrous. But that, I think, is his real danger is that he, it's, it's, all, it's all fluff. It's like, oh, he's the, like on The Apprentice, right? You know, he's a businessman who's a successful businessman. No, he plays one. Mm. He played one on TV. Does yeah. no one get that? Yeah. Well, you know? But people have lost the ability to separate well, yeah, reality. They, they see Mar-a-Lago and, and a golf course. <laughs> Mar-a-Lago. You mean he must, with, be, with he the, must be successful. Wait, wait, wait. He must Mar be successful. Mar-a-Lago with the chandelier in the bathroom. Well, the, hey, now the that's picture, success. Nothing says success like a chandelier in the bathroom, Charles. Right, right. No, that you're says. You're sitting there. You're, you're that, minding your own business I'm and sorry. you got a chandelier over your head. That says oh, white you... nouveau riche trash. Okay. <laughs> He's got... He's got the chandelier in the bathroom with the boxes, right? And he's got the $10 spring-loaded shower rod with a shower curtain that's too small for the shower it's supposed to be covering with the $4 garbage can from Target. Okay. <laughs> it is, you sound like you used the bathroom there, Charles. No, I, it, no this, is, this, is, this is the picture with the boxes. And you look at this and you're saying, this is, this is how classless a person he is, right? Because this is what somebody who who, you know, just comes to wealth, which was handed to him by his father. That's how they respond. But your point is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He, he's, That's uh, correct. Uh, he's funny. They like the fact that he's in it. He, they'll, and they'll, he, and he, the he networks makes, will keep makes, him in it for as long as possible. He makes politics fun. Right. And there's, enough, there's a handful of people in the U.S. who are happy just to go to the polls and vote for the funny guy, the guy that made them laugh. This is the version. See, I, I, that's your theory, right? Well, this I'm is not the, sure I agree with that. This is the version. Well, I'm not saying the majority of people, but but being that the voting is so close, five ten percent of people who believe that you think you think ten percent of Americans are in it for fun. I don't know. They think of it as being in it for fun, but they like the energy. They like the you know they like obviously that the libs are getting it. You know, I think ninety percent of Americans think the system is broken, and a bunch of those think the way to deal with the brokenness is to put, you know, somebody who uh, is out of the mainstream entirely when it comes to politics. Somebody who has no connection to what we normally expect to happen. I don't, I don't, I, to me, I don't, I don't see it as about fun as much as about desperation to address a system that has become totally dysfunctional. No, I, I think it is. I think they've become that cynical that, and, and when you become that cynical, I think you say, you know, why not? Let's just have fun with this. I mean, this guy's if nothing else. Let's, let's blow it up. Let's and blow it up. This, you know, this this is as good. At least it's amusing. Um, no, I think See, that's I, a danger. I, I don't. I don't think there's. That, I don't think there's enough of the population that are that distant from reality to really to, to vote based on those lines. Uh, I, I I have not heard of a 
in all my talk with Trump voters, I haven't heard of a single one that says, yeah, I'm just voting for the guy because he's fun. Well, why don't you go? To, you know, why don't you go to the rallies and ask those people? We do. Yeah, and what we, do they say? Well, we get arrested before we can have too many <laughs> conversations. You know, I mean, he's got camp followers. It just doesn't. It, it, it's like an entertain. He's like an entertainer, and I think that is the well, great. He's game. definitely entertainer. And, and you know, and I think that's one of the reasons. You know, plus the late announcement of the emails by Comey, you know, the great hero now. You know, of Clinton's emails. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons he won was that. You know, people well, just kind of like they, they thought he was something that was a, he was a made up image and he would say things nobody else would say. Doesn't matter if they make sense. They were just funny. Yeah. And people like to be entertained. So why wouldn't Kim Kardashian run for president? <laughs> well, she's not that amusing. Oh, well. He's much funnier. You think so? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're, 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 you're saying you'd, you'd watch a reality show of Donald Trump over Kim Kardashian any day. I, I told you, I always thought he was running a reality show and that the joke was on us, you know. And, and to some degree, I remember telling you back then that the one thing he was right about was that he understood that if he was winning, politicians would have no scruples and stick to nothing of their positions if it meant that they could partake in the power that he would hold. Yeah, and they did. And, and that's some exactly them, what happened. Yeah, and some of them, like Ted Cruz, were very much opposed to Trump at first, and then there, there, there right. no, no one licked Trump's boots as aggressively as Ted Cruz. You know, Chris Christie was also you know critical of Trump, and now, and then of course he wasn't, and now he is again. You know, it's all a bunch of opportunism. At least Trump is consistent. Well, that's right. That's what he said. <laughs> he, he basically said they are opportunists. They don't care about anything but power. If I'm the one who's going to be dispensing power, then they're going to be on my side. And I would say Trump doesn't care about anything but power either, except maybe also that, that, that beautiful chandelier in the bathroom of Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> but I, 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 I think he's just got, he's carved a unique and very different pathway to power. Hey, speaking of power, Charles... Um, I want to talk about the general election coming up. Uh, we've been talking about that a little bit. There are some reasons to think differently about it, both on the Democratic side and the Republican side. Got to take a short break here. When we come back, folks, we'll have that conversation, me and Dr. Charles Goldman here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back, folks. Ed Fallon with you here. Hey, thanks to Westerm Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westerm and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., also on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westerm Optometry. Thanks also to Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. CPM focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. All right, so Charles with me here in the studio today, and uh, you, uh, you wanted to talk about your concerns that the U.S. might be heading toward an autocracy. Oh, you are so negative, Charles. Yeah. Well, you know, after, after Trump stiffed those um, supporters at the Cuban restaurant, 
didn't pay for their meals. Wait, wait, what was I, I after this after one. the arraignment? He went over to uh, you know another set up opportunity, some well known Cuban restaurant not far from Miami, yeah. where the federal courthouse was. Of course, it wasn't that he just walked over there and whoever was there was there. They stocked it with the usual acolytes, you know, who wanted to pray with him, among other things. Um, <laughs> the and, people who find him fun. And, right. And yeah. he, you know, he launched into his usual 10-minute spiel on the greatest, the greatest, you know, crime, uh, witch hunt, whatever, his usual, about whatever they're doing to him. Followed by, of course, let's talk about, you know, Hillary Clinton finishing off, finishing off with, uh, I would... I would be sure the 2020 election, since we can't ever see him without him talking about it. Um, but evidently, at the end of it, he said, food for everyone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And then left about two minutes later. Well, without paying for <laughs> without it. Without paying oh. for it. But anyway. Oh, gosh. So that was followed by his flight back to Bedminster, you know, where he was on vacation with the boxes. Um, and, you know, he did take the boxes with him to Bedminster. He did? Yeah. I mean, he, he took them from Mar-a-Lago. Well, that that bathroom in Mar-a-Lago would never be the same. Well, Chris Christie asked the question, what, are they like family? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he, he then made one of his speeches from uh, Bedminster. You know, and he went on and on, of course, about, you know, that this, this he is, was kind of, he was we, kind this kind is of all weaponization. Speech. Right, he was, he was pretty down, weaponization of everything else. But if he's really been harping on the topic, and, and he's, he's pretty much out now telling you what he's going to do. If he wins, if he wins, it's the revenge tour. Well, yeah, know. he's gonna he's gonna put the entire Biden family in jail. Well, not just that, and but he's Hillary basically Clinton. going to the two things that he that they want to do is, um, is well, one thing they want to do. I mean, you know, we've had the independent state legislature theory, which we still don't know whether that's going to be validated by the Supreme Court. I think it's mm. pretty unlikely, although undoubtedly Clarence Thomas will vote for it. Um, <laughs> right. But now we've had the unitary executive theory which is that the Constitution didn't really mean that there should be three branches of government, and that really the—well, the, the executive branch is completely under the control of the president. Okay. And so. the, the two things that he would like to do, one he's talked about before and actually wanted to do it last time, is to get rid of basically almost all the civil service. Now, of course, the civil service came into existence— to stop cronyism and you know putting political apparitchniks right. in various positions and to bring some expertise into the government to do the things that an expanding country and a much more you know complex country needed to have done you know that, I guess it's the like country continued to expand through colonialism and right destruction of the Native American <laughs> well this is that most of that was already done sorry by that, that was just an aside but they want to destroy the civil service making it so that the presidents or the offices of president could hire and fire people mm -hmm. um, without the civil service protections. Number two, uh, actually it should be three things. Number two, we've already seen a preview of, which is in positions that you need congressional approval for, you never ever have anybody approved. Everybody is just an acting head, right? right? Uh, this is the acting attorney general, right? This is, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did that way. They were under his direct purview. And then the final thing is this whole thing about we're going to rebuild the FBI and the DOJ from the ground up. And that was pretty much going to be the same thing, which is you're simply going to fill it with a bunch of people who are have allegiance and can be hired and fired by the president. So more like a secret service than an FBI. As we well, know, as I mean, we know it. you know, it's it, it would be nothing but cronyism. And, of course— so Some would argue we already have that. Well, I think it would be many steps worse. And it's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, lately the FBI has kind of been lionized by the left. But in, in, which is incredible Which to is me. incredible. And actually, <laughs> there was a real interesting article about uh, a preview of what it would look like if you had that kind of FBI, because we do. And one relates to, you know, their, their misuse of the Patriot Act powers in terms of spying on Americans, right. you know, and, and the— um, the rampant phone surveillance. We already know about that. And that continues to go on. Um, but this one was, was, was very intriguing. This one was, uh, you know, the director, Ray, making a report about domestic terrorism. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to tie this into the question of autocracy. Well, this is what I'm talking about. So, okay, so autocracy would be, this is, this is a, well, I'm giving you as an example of autocracy. Right, sure. So, and, and how is Trump going to accomplish okay. all that? 
Or do you? Or do you think? Or do you think where it's beyond? It's beyond. Well, is if you if you have DeSantis, if even. you have direct right or DeSantis, if you have direct control of the makeup of the civil service of these agencies, then that is a huge step toward autocracy because it becomes simply a tool of yours and your whims, hmm. not a tool of of you know the whim the, the of good government. So what, what, let me ask you this: What does an autocracy look like? How does that change for the life of the average American person? Well, I would say initially it wouldn't, but it looks different like this. This is as I started to tell you. Okay, so after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the right wing, led by, among others, Grassley, went to Ray and said, well, you know, now that this has happened, we're concerned that there's going to be violence against these, you know, state-sponsored pregnancy resource centers, otherwise known as let's go and try to convince you not to have an abortion centers um, that the states are, are funding. Um, and there were, you know, maybe a couple episodes of, of, of graffiti on these buildings or somebody threw a rock through the window, right? Well, when they were, made this report about the last year, all of a sudden the direction of the FBI is, is looking at the left who is defacing these properties. Now, over the last 10, 15 years, I think there's one episode of potential violence against, you know, potentially that might have hurt somebody, right? Against, at, at a, against, the, against a pregnancy resource center, as opposed right. to, well, the abortion doctors well, who've been gunned down, yeah. the bombings, the shootings at abortion clinics and Planned Parenthoods, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So what an autopsy looks like is you are now enforcing laws against terrorism that is only viewed as important from one side. Yeah. Right? Selective enforcement. Right. And that that's the beginning. So what, what, what does the what does the pro- I mean? And, I'm, and, I'm, all right. I've got, so you, I've got a lot of problem with the the media, even the way it is now. I think it's very lopsided. Yeah. In both directions, actually, you've got you, you've got you, you have very few media outlets that try to offer perspective. Uh, and this show is not one of them. This is a, this is an opinion based show. So I'm, I'm the we're the editorial section of the paper, folks. Right. Um, but the news section of newspapers ought to be as balanced as possible. A lot of them aren't. Uh, look, I mean, look at the Des Moines Register now, which is about as emphatically pro-urban sprawl as you've, I've ever seen a newspaper get. But so what does it look like under autocracy? How, how is the media worse under an autocracy controlled by, I mean, I presume you're concerned about either Trump or DeSantis running the show and running it in that kind of autocratic way. Well, the autocratic way would be dictating curriculum you know, from, at a national level. I mean, I think DeSantis is kind of giving you a preview of what his autocracy would look like because Florida. it would look like Florida. Yeah. Trump's autocracy would look like, how can I get back at all these people? But you have And yeah, if you're not one of those people, maybe it won't be so terrible. But, but, if, but what about the EPA? It'll be, the EPA will be just like it was under Trump. You'd find a lobbyist for the industry to run the EPA mm-hmm. to basically run it into the ground so nothing ever happens. Kind of like our governor here has done with the Department of Education, putting a, a strong private uh, private school person in charge of the public education system of what's left of it. Right. Yeah. So, but what now, now that you have people on the political right who make the same accusations against the, you know, against a, a Democrat in charge of the White House. I mean, I, I hear it against Biden and... Um, they're concerned that you know this is basically we're going to see a, a a country run, you know, run by someone who is grabbing as much power as possible. And how doing, do you do, how do you, doing what with it? Uh, shaping it to their own vision, their own goals, their own own agenda. Well, you, this, you, this you is what you pick, hear from the right. You pick so, lead, you pick leadership of these executive agencies that that are going to you know lean in the direction of those who appoint them. But you don't purge everybody else hmm. in the civil service to make it uniform from top to bottom. Because you can, you know, for instance, uh, it, it's Jeffrey Clark, you know, is one of these guys who Trump wanted to make attorney general. And basically the top 50 people of the Department of Justice said you make him attorney general, we're leaving. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's, he's involved in some pseudo think tank just in waiting for if Trump wins or DeSantis wins to go there and try to get a high position in the DOJ to implement the unitary executive 
theory, which is going to be that the DOJ is there to do the bidding of the president. So let me ask you this. What do you see as different between a Trump administration, round two, or an, a DeSantis administration? I think Trump will, <laughs> Trump might be less of a problem in some ways in terms of autocracy because it's going to be directed very specifically at political people. You know, DeSantis just wants to impose his will on everything, you know, and use the he, – he's absolutely shown he's willing to use the levers of government to, uh, you know, try to punish those who disagree with him. Like Mickey Mouse. Like Mickey Mouse, like uh, basically uh, unseating elected uh, attorneys – you know, district attorneys who do things he doesn't like. I mean, he, he's... That is very autocratic. That right. is the I don't think Trump's so much of a detail man. DeSantis is much more of a detail man. Yeah. And and he is also, you know, pushing much more grandiose uh, intrusions into our lives. Trump's administration would be a reality show. DeSantis' administration would be reality. And That's not, correct. And not a pretty one. Right. And, and, and again, you know, I, people probably think, well, you know... Things are going great down in Florida. Look at those people who are moving there. Yeah, the people who are moving there are people, number one, who already agree with DeSantis, right? And ultimately, they're moving there because it's warmer, okay? But you could stay here and it's warm, you know? <laughs> it's, it, people are self-selecting. So this whole thing they push that, well, if this, this is what people want, right? They want the, to go into kids' you know, uh, public school and find 10 books on the library shelves and everything else removed. I mean, they want to fight over Catcher in the Rye again and Tony, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember which book. Of Diary of Anne Frank. Diary oh, of Anne Frank. A, Holocaust books are disappearing. Book. Yeah. You know, the only book that you can have that might have any allusion to sex is the Bible. Yeah. Because right? I, I really, it's necessary to the narrative. I would hope, I would hope that they would ban my book, Marcher Walker Pilgrim. I think that would be the <laughs> well, best that would thing to the sales. sales. That would absolutely increase the sales. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I, I, I think you're seeing what it would look like. I mean, I, I don't really think fascism is the right term for this because fascism is 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 more directly a union of government. And how, how do you how do you define? We already it? have how, that how, in some ways. But. Yeah, what, what do you see as the difference between fascism and autocracy? Well, autocracy is is a political system in which there is an inordinate amount of power invested in one part of government. And fascism is different from that? Fascism is where corporate influences are, are totally allied with the government. So that... Okay. But, but I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I agree that is my, what I think is the classic definition right. of fascism. But how are the corporate interests not aligned with an autocratic government? Because the autocrat is going to make sure the, that happens. The corporate interests of this country are only concerned with what's good for business. Right. You know, how can I make a profit? Right. And can, and if I can make a profit one way with a different type of system, that's fine. And if you've got somebody in charge who wants to make sure that their power is secure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking of Vladimir Putin. There's a great example of an autocrat who has done really well at corralling corporate interests. Well, corp what are the corporate interests in the United States? Do they really want to be governing? No, they don't want to be left alone to do two things, not pay taxes and to not have to be the minimum of regulation. Boom, perfect. Now, that, that, an autocrat could assure that. So, yeah, I, I can see that auto, that that, uh, that uh, corporations would be in, in, in line with that type of ruler. Well, I think and they're I, just I, in line I, with who they think is going to win so I, I, I guess who's I, more efficient at getting I guess there. I'm, I guess I'm not convinced that there's much of a difference between autocracy and fascism. Well, I think my concern on autocracy is is the freedom issue that goes with it. The economic issue, may you may be right in some ways, it's not all that much different, hmm. you know. But the vindictiveness of both of these men is extraordinarily dangerous hmm. because it convinces them that they're right and that anything that they do is okay because yeah. they're just right. Let me ask you one more question before we switch, switch topics, and we should devote more time to this than we will in the future. But uh, we've had Marianne Williamson on this program. I've invited Robert Kennedy Jr. on this program. I certainly would invite Joe Biden, but he'll probably grab me by the lapels and, and berate me and... Well, he probably won't. He'll probably come, come in here show. and do a push-up contest with you, and you lose. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I wouldn't lose to Biden. Come on. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but no. I, I mean, Kennedy. And, Kennedy is giving Biden quite a run for his money in the polls. And if Biden is not on the ballot in New Hampshire or Iowa, and Iowa is trying hard to go first, Iowa Democrats are really trying to trying to find a way to go first. If Biden is not on the ballot in Iowa or New Hampshire, and JFK or Marion Williamson do well here, does that affect the eventual outcome, 
presuming that Biden goes on to win handily in South Carolina? Um, no, I don't think so. The more visible, you know, Kennedy becomes, I think the more unhinged you'll see he has become. More it's not. It's it's. I I understand that you like his environmentalism, but he's really become just another conspiratorial, paranoid, you know, spewer of of misinformation. Well, sounds like a perfect opponent for Trump. <laughs> They'd be meeting on the same ground. I I get, I get your point. <laughs> no, I, you know, and, and, I, I, and I like a lot. Of, I like a lot of what Marianne Williamson is trying to bring to this. Mm-hmm. You know, and and trying to say yes. You know, in fact, there is a role for spirituality. It's just not called Christianity. Mm. You know, exclusively, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Hey, we got to take a short break, uh, Charles. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the fascinating and historic ruling here in Iowa last week on abortion. Uh, the Supreme Court, again, largely appointed by Republican governors. Uh, I think 100 percent, 100 percent. Yeah, you're 100%. right, 100 percent. Yeah, um, voted uh, to retain current law, meaning that. Uh, that you can still get an abortion up to 20 weeks of pregnancy. The the rule the, the law would have changed to uh, six weeks and out if uh, the Supreme Court had ruled otherwise. A fascinating ruling. We'll talk about it when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1980 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, long-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, and Charles Goldman. And, you know, I don't know how much news this made around the country, but it's pretty historic. The Iowa Supreme Court, again, as Charles pointed out, 100% of the membership of that court uh, appointed by Republican governors, Kim Reynolds and previously Terry Branstad. And uh, yet that court voted to sustain the the, uh, current law, which allows an abortion up to 20 weeks, would have been reduced to six weeks had the court ruled otherwise, and uh, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, and a lot of it, even though I'm sure it did, it did go on the national news because that's where I saw it first. Um, a lot of this has to do, I think, with the internal politics of Iowa, um, and 
interestingly, the the senior judges, the three senior judges on the court were the ones who concurred that there was that they were not going to overturn the decision to stay the 2018 heartbeat bill. Mm-hmm. And and let's just be clear. I mean, this is just another usurping of the um, of the terminology by the uh, non pro life people, which is. Um, there is no heartbeat at six weeks. There is no heart at six weeks. You're speaking as a doctor. So what, what there's, is, what there's is a the... bunch of cells that are the myoelectrical cells of the heart that on an ultrasound quiver. That's all that happens. There's no heart until 12 to 16 weeks. Is that medically disputed? No. So how do they get away with that? It's not a medical term. They're using it to convince people that at, since there's a heartbeat, you're actually killing a potentially... Uh, something that could, could potentially live outside of the uterus, which is ludicrous. Um, you know, the, the irony is that the United States actually has one of the worst uh, capabilities of first world countries uh, in terms of keeping um, uh, preemies alive. And why is that? Because we have horrendous prenatal care. And also because we have lack of access for many groups in this country to good, you know, premature uh, yeah. Neonatal care. Okay, so th- this ruling again, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. There wasn't a majority decision. It was a three-three tie. And Correct. In, in a three-three tie, the uh, the decision remains. The current law remains in effect. Right. Interesting to me was the one of the judges um, who uh, had previously, with her law firm, uh, defended the Emma Goldman Clinic, which is again a pro-choice clinic, mm-hmm. uh, recused herself. Right. Uh, presumably, if she had voted, it would have been 4-3 in favor of retaining current law in right. weeks. Right. So, uh, Well, it's believed that's why she recused. They didn't say officially, but that's, that's right. what people are assuming. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I don't, I, I, I've been looking for a reason as to why. I mean, maybe you don't have to give a reason as to why you recuse yourself. <laughs> you should. Oh, it's not something we see a lot on the Supreme Court. <laughs> so think, it does you, happen occasionally. You think Clarence Thomas should maybe recuse himself a little more often? <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, 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 the arguments on both sides are interesting to me because they kind of focus more on process than on the question of whether abortion should be legal or illegal or limited in some scope. Yes, right. And, and, and I think that's what made it even more potent, right? Because, um, well, first of all, it shows you that the, the older judges, you know, predominantly were... Uh, appointed by Branstad, who wasn't a, a devout pro-lifer in, in the same way that, you know, Kim Reynolds Branstead portrays was, herself. was ca- probably he was, still is yeah, Catholic. Right, but I, he did not, it wasn't a litmus test for everything he did. Right. And so that's part of it. But I think the, the, real, the real thing here is that they really called the Republicans on why did you pass a law in 2018? The Republican legislature. Right. Yeah. That you knew. Because presumably all the appointees are probably Republicans as well. Right. But they asked the legislature, essentially, because that was the argument that was made by um, uh, Waterman. Waterman. Yeah. In which he, he basically said, there's no proof that this bill would even still be supported by the present legislature. And... The point that this bill was never a serious bill hmm. because it was passed at a time when it was simply a way, as many states were doing, to shoehorn a case up to the Supreme Court Which to get rid of, right, eventually yeah. it did happen, to get rid of Roe v. Wade. But it was never, in, in basically this is you know the backdrop of what he was saying, it never was really meant as anything but that. Ironically, the dissenters said, well, you're trying to divine... The dissenters. The, the, the dissenters. Oh, the dissenters, yeah. sorry. said, yeah. you're trying to divine a purpose to why they passed the law. A law is a law. They passed it. They meant it to be enforced, well, right? Which is really great for those on the, you know, the right-wing side of jurisprudence right now because their entire theory of law is a divining of what people did in the past, right? No, it's we, a divining of what God wants. Well, well besides God. But it's a divining of what the founders wanted when they wrote the Constitution. I mean, the Federalist Papers weren't, they were, they were not really commentary on the Constitution. I mean, they were like a popular pamphlet. 
Mm-hmm. But their red as though they were really writing like the Talmud, you know, some sort of interpretations <laughs> of the document. You know, and then you have Alito going back to laws from the 1600s or earlier trying to divine what they really meant. Right? Pre, and pre-independence. So, right. Well, pre-independence, I yeah. mean, pre-United States. Yeah. You know, so, so I had to laugh when I was reading the, the, the dissenters, you know, from the decision not to, uh, you know, in, in bring the law into, into being. <laughs> talking about defining what the legislators were trying to do. But that's, of course, the point. It was never meant to be enforced. They were just simply trying to get it into the Supreme Court. But so, ultimately, the last thing I would say here is what they were really saying is we are not going to do your dirty work mm-hmm. because the whole point of this case was to avoid Kim Reynolds, who may have aspirations beyond you know this state. Absolutely, yeah. Being associated directly with a six-week ban, yeah. right? Yes, of course, it would, you know, she's governor. She signed right. it. She signed it. Yes, yeah. I understand that. Well, it's no different than DeSantis. You know, he's real big on it when he's down south, right? But you don't hear him talking about it in these other states yeah. that, all that much. Because this extreme position on abortion is not a winning issue as a, as a politician. Well, it's— you know, the Public six, polling is very much uh, against these extreme measures. And, and, of course, if you really wanted to say, we would like the people to decide this, we were going to return it to the states, how about return it to the people in the states? That went really well in Kansas for the for the. Uh, for the it didn't go that uh, much better in places like South Dakota and Louisiana. No, I no. mean, we assume that these places that seem like bastions of conservatism went along. Because at one time in the Iowa legislature, there, there was an initiative to, uh, to get this on the ballot. In Iowa, That's right. And, and it Iowa died. Well, it and d- it died in— it died for a reason. They realized, uh-uh, we can't do this. That's correct. And people won't vote the way we they want don't them want, to. That's correct. They don't want the people to really weigh in on this question. And, and that's, I think, what had a lot to do with this. The court looked at it and said, we're not going to do this for you. If you're really convinced, do it yourself. Yeah. Because Me- this is what you're seeing. Through, meaning right. through legislation. Right. Do yeah. it through legislation. And even then, if, if they go back to the same decision— and use and remember these were these were just opinions. They weren't really so, like case. It's not like it's not like a, a decision that's written out when the Supreme Court decides something one way or the other. Yeah. These were a collection of opinions that went sixty-four pages from the various judges. So to read the mind of the of the anti-choice people who want the six-week, you know, the six-week ban. Um, do you, I, I have some thoughts on where they're going to go with this? Do you? I'll let you go first. I'm, I'm big that way. Um, well, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got, I think, three, three options. You've got the attempt to claim that life begins at conception, which failed here this year in the mm-hmm. legislature, because it doesn't, it has ramifications beyond just the issue of abortion that would be very difficult to kind of adjudicate, mm-hmm. besides the fact that it's... It, that's an opinion. Okay, one. Two would be the heartbeat bills because it sounds really cool, right? There's a heartbeat. But the, so what do you mean the heartbeat? They would try it there again, yeah, again? Right, which essentially is a ban. Which it's is what the, well, it's a ban without saying that life begins well, at conception. Well, and that's what the court, that's what you say the right. court is challenging them to do. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they like that one because it, it kind of sounds cool, right? You know, I mean, we're saving a life. Right. Even though it's it's a totally potential life at that time in a medical sense, okay. but um, you know the problem with that is it doesn't satisfy the real hardline, you know, anti-abortion groups because if it's murder at 15 weeks or 20 weeks, it's murder at six weeks too. Okay, so so that's a little bit that's one position. The other position is kind of what you saw in North Carolina, which is 15 weeks. Okay, so um, here, here's the correct answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's what I think is going to happen. I think the the again the right the 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 anti-choice crowd, uh, Governor Reynolds, her you know her people in the legislature, they realize they can't get it done uh, through an, a voter initiative. They realize their hands are probably tied getting it getting any more you know anything strict passed legislatively. They're going to try to further disrupt the court system. They, they're going to do that through two different two different techniques. Um, they're going to try to run a campaign to oust whichever justices are up next year. Yeah, they, whichever justices voted for the ban, oh, sorry, whichever justices voted to keep the current law, 
is up next year. I'm not sure who it is, uh, but but they'll do. They'll have a campaign to get them out, just like they ousted three justices right. after the marriage equality vote back in 2009. That that'll happen, and even before that, this coming session, they will try to continue to tweak the ways in which the court, the Supreme Court, and other court positions are appointed. Uh, they're going to try to make it right. Right now, we have a system that um, that allows some balance. It it, it kind of um, prevents some of the more extreme appointments that you could see a governor with a lot of power, with an autocratic power. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there are some checks and balances. They're going to try to do away with those to make it easier for a governor to appoint exactly the type of person they want in the court. Between that and trying to oust the justices up next year, uh, they're going to secure a, a, the kind of majority that, that will and will eventually look at, a, look at an appeal to this case and rule the way that Kim Reynolds wants. I mean, I think, I, I think that's, that's the right answer. I don't know if that's entirely the right answer. I think there's a danger in making the um, the election of the judges a big issue because, as we've seen, it also tends to drive pro-abortion rights voters to the, the polls. If it does that, it may mean that the other judges who are up for, for what, reappointment? What is it called when we vote on them? Yeah, reappointment. Reappointment yeah. might— lose if they're identified as being, you know, anti-abortion rights. It also drives people to the polls who might not vote, you know, mindlessly for Republicans. No, you know, I think, I actually think, I think they're going to go the North Carolina route. They're going to come up with a, the 15, a 15 right. week ban does not, I don't believe violates uh, uh, the issue of. But, but remember, you, you only need, okay, 30% of the electorate are always going to vote against every judge on the ballot because they just don't like judges. You've already got a 30% base. All you need is 20 more, 20% mm -hmm. more. And that's where you mobilize the the extreme right. And you've got 20% of the state that is pretty much anti-abortion across the board for any reason at all, rape, incest, anything. You mobilize that percentage, and you can oust, you can oust judges. That's what happened back in 2009. I I, yeah, I, I understand that happened again. back in 2009, but the demographics of Iowa are changing, particularly the demographics of the state in terms of increasing numbers of younger voters. Yeah. And well, you and, might, and that's, you, that might backfire. Yes, exactly. You. That might be the hedge against that risk. Right. Anyway. Hey, Charles, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Folks, we've been talking with Charles Goldman about all kinds of really, really critical stuff. Climate change, Juneteenth. Right. Trump being a funny guy. <laughs> Abortion rulings. My gosh. And now we're going to talk about lab-grown meat. Lab-grown meat, which I'm sure Charles probably loves. He probably drools just thinking about us talking about Charles, <laughs> about, about lab-grown meat. Anyway, Kathy's going to join us for that. We're going to talk about the claims of its lower environmental impact. Maybe not so fast. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Kathy Burns is with me now in the studio, and we're going to be talking about lab-grown meat and some contradictory research on the topic of the 
of the industry's environmental friendliness. Right. Uh, we have not talked about lab meat in earnest since uh, last November, so we're doing pretty well <laughs> not bothering people about lab-based meat. I guess meat. we do. Uh, but the most uh, recent heavily cited study up till now has been one that uh, from 2011 that had claims of uh, uh, like 96% uh, greater uh, environmental friendliness of lab-grown meat compared to commercially land-grown meat and, and all how of do, that. How do, they, how do they measure that? Uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's 96% less water consumption. And, well, it says 96% lower greenhouse gases. So that study was heavily cited. It was done at, uh, at Oxford. But uh, a new study that is out from University of uh, California has some different information. They didn't study the exact same thing, though. They looked at, instead of just the overall environmental friendliness or energy use, which is hard to gauge because in the study they note that we don't really know what energy systems will be in place as these lab meat systems scale up to, uh, you know, large production. Well, my, my concern is that the, the most studies, when they look at, uh, you know, quote, if I can call it real meat, they look at how, quote, real meat is grown in industrial settings, large-scale confinements, uh, feedlots, mm -hmm. uh, corn-fed beef, uh, you, you know, lots of water, lots of, uh, lots of inputs. And they, they don't consider... Sustainable systems, grass-fed, mm -hmm. right. grass-fed uh, livestock, um, uh, various types of free-range yeah. uh, options. Um, well, I'm not houses. sure. I'm not sure where in the study they're getting their current average, you know, uh, carbon output of, of meat production. I, d I don't know where they're getting that information. So does the California study look at uh, a broader range of how meat is produced? Uh, no, it looks looks at what's being done currently and uh, anticipates if it were scaled up as people are hoping to do, saying that this is the thing we need to be doing going into the future to save land you use. Mean, you mean if lab meat is scaled if up? If lab meat is scaled up. So what they what they found was that not being able to assess what energy consumption it will be, the single you know topic of just the resource consumption is what is. Uh, what they're citing as what doesn't work well, scaling this up in the future. They're saying that the, the uh, uh, taking of the cells to produce the lab meat and making sure that sanitary, reproducing those, having the correct growth medium for these cells that become what they sell yeah, what as is, lab what meat. What is the growth medium? I don't know, but it takes a bioreactor to, <laughs> to, make, it. to yeah. make all that happen. And so right now they're saying that resource-wise, that's a big, big um, ask yeah, to, to have all of that resource, and some of that would be energy then. To me, some of this, some of this analysis is kind of a waste of time because, I mean, I, I don't know how you can argue against the most, that, that, that the most natural system is going to be the... The, the best system in terms of all aspects of inputs. I mean, in terms of water, uh, sunlight, mm -hmm. uh, other types of energy. I mean, I just, I, I don't know how you can argue against that. Well, I'm glad they did the study because, um, and this is uh, one of the notes from the study. They, the quote is, ideally, systems-level evaluations of proposed novel food technologies will allow policymakers to make informed decisions on the allocation of government capital. And proponents of this, you know, supposed lab meat, have hailed it as an environmental solution that addresses many of the impacts associated with traditional meat production. But upon examination of this highly engineered system, artificial meat production appears to be resource intensive when examined from the cradle to production gate perspective for the scenarios and assumptions. How, yeah, how can, it, how can it not be resource intensive? Well, you're, I'm you're, glad... It's that, ha happening in a building, in a laboratory, with very high-tech uh, high uh, yeah. you know, uh, methods. I mean, I don't know how that can not be way more uh, involved. I'm just glad they, <laughs> they, they noted that before the government gets in and subsidizes a bunch of this, they need yeah. some real science. Well, and again, facts. that won't stop the government from subsidizing it. I know. <laughs> Same as carbon capture. Well, yes, carbon capture is an example. Um, uh, the, the subsidies for uh, 
you know, confined animal feeding, livestock op- livestock production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Kathy, thanks for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we'll have to come back and visit that again in November. An yes, an- annual let's. event. Hey, uh, thanks to our production team today, folks. Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Ivor Session for our bumper music. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Go to the Fallon Forum website to learn about how you can make a difference. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.